Hello and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, the podcast where I'm pouring communion wine and talking about my day, at least yesterday. I'm Patrick Mathers, the pastor of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship, and I'm here on a Sunday afternoon getting ready for church, but I've been thinking about a, <clears throat> something that happened yesterday. Um, I work at a funeral home. We had several funerals yesterday, and so we spent a good part of the day doing everything that comes along with funerals. And then I got to take lunch later on in the afternoon. It was probably about 2, oh, I don't know, 2.30-ish by the time I finally got lunch. So we have a Popeye's right down the street from the place where I work, our funeral home. So I went and go get one of them Popeye's chicken sandwiches. They are so good. Chick-fil-A has capitulated to the moral revolution, and so I have no compulsion now to um, necessarily play favorites. I still like Chick-fil-A's food, but boy, Popeye's sandwich is like nothing else. It is by far better. So go get a Popeye's chicken sandwich and enjoy it. Spicy is what I got. Um, but get like they're so good. It's crazy. Crazy. I gotta take my wife there. She hasn't been there yet. Um, in town here, there's another place, Bill's Town Lounge, that does really good chicken sandwiches too. They're a little on the pricey side, but every bit worth it. Um, so if you go to Bill's, make sure you get a chicken sandwich from there and try to get somewhere in the, they rate the hot there from one to five. Try to get like four. Um, three was a little mild for my sake, kind of pedestrian, if you will. So get something a little bit on the hotter side, just so you get a little kick. I don't know, five's crazy hot, but um, it's good. Anyways, so Popeye's. I'm in there in Popeye's. I get there, walk in, walk up to the counter and realize I left my wallet at work. So hop back in my truck, drove back to work, grab my wallet, came back. So I think, okay, Lord, what providential instance do you have here in front of me that kept me from remembering my wallet and needing to come back here? And sure enough, it didn't disappoint. I'm standing in line. Actually, I walk in and I see a guy ahead of me who's I don't recognize initially. He is definitely uh, one of the members of our homeless community here in Chico, which is um, quite large and prevalent. Just on my way here, um, I drove by downtown Plaza and there was, I would say, upwards of 50, maybe 60 people just literally just sitting around um, there at downtown Plaza. Um, but one of these guys, he was here at Popeye's walking in in front of me. And he was started going around to table to table. And I, so I got ahead of him in line and he ended up getting behind me in line. And he said, hey, 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 I know you. And I turned around and I didn't recognize him. And for those of you who don't know, I used to work at a place here in town called the Jesus Center. And it's, for lack of a better word, the soup kitchen here in town. It's more sophisticated than that. But um, they serve meals twice a day, every day. 
except Sundays. I think they only do one on Sundays now because the Salvation Army does one. Um, but they they provide meals, and there's also a women's shelter there, and they have a kind of sort of a halfway house now. They, they had just had a kitchen, and they were working on the women's shelter when I worked there. So I worked there for several years. I think it was three and a half, four years. No, I think it was three and a half years that I worked there. And so I got to know, especially a lot of the long-term now homeless people, because back then, homelessness wasn't the huge major problem that we have here in Chico now. Um, so I turned around, and this guy apparently had recognized me. He, he t- It took him half a second, but he remembered my name. And so I'm like, oh, this guy does know me. So started talking to him, and turns out, oh, I, I, now after having talked with him, I did recognize him. He used to be a really big guy um, and big boisterous kind of guy and he has clearly fallen on the harder times the drugs and the alcohol look like they finally really caught up with him unfortunately and so he was very skinny and emaciated so I didn't recognize him um, I'm going to call him Mike just for sake of me being able to use shorthand and so Mike from here on out so Mike, he, he says, hey, buddy, I've been, you know, thinking about you. And, and so I'm now flooded with memories of this guy, Mike, and remember him being kind of a, uh, a shyster. One of these guys who um, would say and do whatever he could possibly do to get something out of you. I remember at one point he had stolen stuff from his uh, invalid mom to sell, and um, we ended up having to do some, well, we didn't, it wasn't church discipline because Jesus Center wasn't the church, but having to do some discipline and not have him back for a while because of his shady actions and taking advantage of people and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, you know, you let him back in and you try to, try to, see if there's been any change and unfortunately there's very little that happens in terms of change with most of the homeless people I've encountered in my life. Probably have seen maybe five, maybe five on the whole time that I did homeless ministry actually convert to the Lord or actually clean up their act, change um, almost to a person. They remained in the same situation that they were and just got worse. And we were just providing um, sustenance at that time so that they could just maintain. And, of course, that's a good thing. We want to, want to see people provided for in terms of basic needs of life. But um, Mike, he had that reputation. He, he's kind of childlike in his demeanor, and so... He always attracted attention. He had a big, bright smile, and he was never violent or aggressive. Um, But he would take advantage of anybody he possibly could, and so he regularly burned bridges and um, had burned, you know, all of ours. Eventually, well, when I left there, that was, oh boy, 2002 maybe? maybe 2003. So I have known Mike for, oh, going on 18 years, I guess now. 
maybe even longer. So I've known him a long, long time. Now I haven't encountered him for a long, long time. So it was a little bit of a, a surprise to see him. And we got to talking there in the line and um, he was n- not outright asking me to buy him food, but he was certainly tap dancing around that tree. Um, <clears throat> so I honestly, I didn't put it out there and, <laughs> and say, hey, let me get you something. Just having known him and remembered throughout the years the way he has exploited his acquaintances in many ways. And so I just kind of let it out there and let him talk and it didn't throw him a bone, which I have found to be helpful in some encounters with some of the people who were in the same situation because they'll play you and try to get you to, you know, they'll say things like, oh boy, I wish I had enough for a sandwich. All I have is enough for is this uh, cottage cheese or whatever. And then you, of course, you're supposed to respond with, oh, well, here, I've got a couple extra bucks. And they go, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that, but cool. So, um, which well, anybody listening probably understands that and has probably experienced it and encountered it. And he was doing a little bit of that with me. And I was just saying, oh, okay, okay. The guy in front of me turned around and was like, oh, is he... Does he need money? And I'm like, I don't think he does, honestly. (laughs) Um, And so he said, oh, okay, and turned back around. And so then I went ahead and ordered my chicken sandwich. And upon ordering my chicken sandwich, went and sat down. And Mike proceeded to come over and park it right next to me. And he parked in such a way so that he was facing me. Um, but wouldn't look at me, but would face me and just put on the real sad face. And so I am trying my best not to take the bait and um, see what kind of uh, scheme he's concocting or what he wants me to give him, um, that kind of thing. I have never known him to be one where he just wants to chit-chat and get to know you a little better and that kind of thing, unless it will, of course, advantage him in some way. So I sit and listen, or sit there and eat my sandwich and uh, out of my peripheral vision kind of watch and pay attention to just what I'm doing, eating my sandwich. So... He eats his, and then I think he realized pretty quick that I wasn't, you know, going to be the one who's going to buy him his, not only next meal, but whatever. So he w- proceeded to go around the room and start talking to other people who were sitting there enjoying their meals. And finally, one of the women had to come out and say that he couldn't harass customers and had to leave and so on his way out, he came over to me and was like, hey, hey, you, you, do you, I see you got a pickup truck. Do you, do you have a sleeping bag in that truck? Do you have a blanket? Because, you, you oh, no, I need, I need a sleeping bag or a blanket. And I said, you know, on all honesty, I said, I'm sorry, I don't, Mike. Um, so I, you know, and I told him, you know where the places are, you can get those things. 
And he just kind of looked at me and looked down with recognition. He's like, yeah, I, I can't go there anymore. Now, and walked out. He walked out at that point. Now, my dilemma. <clears throat> and I'd love to hear everybody chime in on this. There's, there's kind of two schools of thought, major schools of thought. One is, you know, you quote that passage from 1 Thessalonians 5, if, uh, or pardon me, 2 Thessalonians 3, if a man doesn't work, he, he doesn't eat. And so here you have this homeless problem and, you know, well, these people are basically reaping what they've sown and if they're not willing to work, then they shouldn't be given anything to eat as well. Now, while in, in theory that concept might hold, eh, the text itself I don't think is the place to go from that. That's specifically talking about within the context of the church, people who are busybodies in the church because they believe the second coming of Christ is so eminent that they quit their jobs and decide to live off the good um, nature of the people within the church, that those people shouldn't be uh, given food, that if they aren't willing to work, then they shouldn't eat. So the context is really eschatological. It's really within ecclesiastical. It's if somebody is saying, oh, the second coming is so eminent, I'm not going to bother working anymore. I'm just going to post up and wait for Jesus to come back. Well, you're going to get hungry while you're waiting for him to come back. So what are you going to do? Well, if you don't have a job, you're going to go around and presume that the people who are within the church are going to are going to give you um, food and clothing and shelter. So that doesn't quite apply in this case. Now, while this guy Mike did a very, very, very long time ago uh, go to the same church that I was, now he goes to one of these health and wealth, uh, real large, prosperity, um, charismatic churches in town. You know, everything's gold and glitz and um, you know, one of these big Shazam kind of churches. And so he, that's where he goes. In fact, he told me that's where he goes. Um, and so this, for me, talking to him doesn't quite apply to Second Thessalonians 3. The other point of view, the other major philosophy is that, well, you know, Jesus said that you will have the poor with you always there at the end of John, um, when he was anointed, I think it's chapter 12, if I remember off the top of my head, um, John chapter 12, he's anointed there in Bethany, and Judas says, well, you could have sold this oil that he was anointed with and um, had all the money to feed the poor for a long time, and Jesus' response was, well, I'm only here this one time, the poor you will always have with you. That's something important I want to come back to later on, but the point in, I'm trying to get at initially here is that there are people who will look at that passage and say, well, you know, if, they, if you, the poor you always have with you, then we should always be selling what we have and giving to the poor because that's what Judas was wanting to do there at that time. Now, <clears throat> I don't think that was Jesus's point in that context um, however, there certainly is truth to the fact that we will always have poor with us and we should, um, as much as within us, be giving um, to help out people who are impoverished. And I believe that the first people that we should be giving money to who are impoverished are those within the local congregation. Um, it certainly seems like that's what, when the New Testament in the book of Acts, in the epistles, 
uh, talking about providing for the poor. It's within the context of the poor who are believers, who are our brethren. First uh, John says that, you know, you should be giving to those who are your brethren. If you see your brother who is in need and you don't give to him, then you're actually worse than an infidel. So in the church, we should be taking care of our own first and foremost. Now, while that does mean people who are professing faith in Jesus Christ, we don't always know in every single instance if they are actually uh, true believers in possession of faith in Jesus Christ. So we certainly want to take people at their words and believe the best of people. However, if someone has proven time and time and time and time and time again that they don't consider living holy, uh, holy lifestyle, living in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord to be something that um, they, they are going to do, then it, it certainly shows us. And in church cases, we would end up probably going through Matthew 18 and bringing church discipline against someone who is in the habit of just simply mooching off people and um, trying to um, make merchandise of the people of God, meaning take the people of God and, and use them for their own benefit rather than to see God glorified in those relationships. Um, so that's within the context of the church. So we are supposed to take care of the poor within the context of the local congregation. Absolutely, 100%. If people, you know, people who are wealthier in the church can help other people with bills, with car repairs, with um, financial support when those needs come up, then we should absolutely be doing that. And um, we, we actually have a benevolent fund and um, has... We've had one of our guys kind of create a um, a way by which we can help people out who are in need within our local context. Um, but then the, the thought goes, well, then what about all the poor that are out there? Well, Jesus said you're always going to have the poor. And I think one of the reasons why um, homelessness is such the problem that it is is because sin is what it is. And I'm not saying that homelessness is a sin. I am saying that some people who are homeless are there because of their sin. Not everybody. Um, There's certainly mental health issues that unfortunately uh, our uh, economic, our governmental system doesn't have in place to be able to help um, these people anymore. There used to be a better system in place uh, decades ago here in California, but we don't have that anymore. And so these people are out on the streets and their families are incapable of taking care of them and providing with them the way that they can. That's just too much for them. And so uh, because there's no infrastructure in place to help out people who have mental illness, they end up a lot of times, unfortunately, in, um, abusing drugs and finding themselves on the streets or, or finding themselves in in a place where they just can't afford for the basic necessities of life. And, and in, in those instances, if we can, as a church, see a way to help, then I, I think that it probably behooves us to do that. But that's the, the, the majority of the people, at least in my experience, um, has been that, that there's been lifestyles and patterns of sin for a long time. And these lifestyles and patterns of sin have resulted in addiction, have resulted in uh, not only sexual abuse, but sexual promiscuity. And um, 
have led to burning bridges like I talked about earlier. And once, you know, you start burning bridges, it's kind of difficult to stop burning bridges. And so that pattern uh, continues on. And once you burn so many, you end up in the place where that no one will take you in and no one is going to give you help. No one trusts you anymore. And unfortunately, you find yourself um, without help and you're out where, you know, you're just out there. Now, the homeless problem is never going to be solved. I just want to say that categorically, 100%. There's people who think, you know, if we just give them tiny houses and build these tiny villages, that'll, it'll, that'll remove the problem. It won't. It'll alleviate some of the symptoms of the problem. I think there's certainly a benefit that could be had in going forward with a program like that, especially if these people are people who have mental health issues and can live in these tiny communities and have some stability and get to the mental health they need from um, the, you know, the behavioral health systems that are in place here in the state. But it's not going to remove the problem. All it's going to do is take away some of the symptoms of the problem. The poor we will always have with us. So, back to Mike. Here he walks by me and he asks me if I have a blanket and I have a sleeping bag. I don't, well, in my truck, I guess I could have, but I don't. I don't have those items in my truck, so I was perfectly honest with him when I told him that I didn't, and I felt no compelling reason to try to go and provide for him after I've known him all these years and have seen his pattern of lifestyle, and I understand that he is one who is regularly um, taking advantage of everybody he can for his own sake and doesn't really care too much about the other people who are around him. Now, let's say I didn't know him. I have the advantage of having worked with the homeless. I have the advantage of having known him for, you know, over, well, well, well over a decade, almost going on two decades. And so I have that experience with him. And so I'm able to make an informed decision when dude tells me or asks me a request. I'm able to say, you know where you can go to get those items. And of course, he responds that he's burned those bridges too, and I'm not surprised. But for me, so I'm in no way compelled then to run out and get him those items. Um, I, I, I don't feel that sense of obligation. Now, Christian, who's listening to this, tell me if you think I'm out of line or wrong. I, I, um, I, I, I at this point don't. I, I don't have a conviction that well, I maybe should have done this. My reason for recording this isn't to get necessarily just your take on this and you correct me if I'm wrong, although you're certainly welcome to do that and I would receive it if you did think I was wrong. But what I'm trying to get at is that I think we need to be wise stewards of what we have and be very careful, especially during these holiday um, seasons, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, there, there's definitely a play on our heartstrings from the culture around us that wants us to, you know, do altruistic works, do good works. Uh, from a Christian point of view, from a Christian perspective, we want to see the kingdom of God advanced. And while giving a cup of cold water or a bowl of hot soup, maybe, or a blanket in the name of Jesus Christ 
can certainly be something that brings glory to God if I can, with that very same resource, provide for somebody in my own family or do something within the context of my local church, then that's where my priority needs to lie. I think that... Um, you know, there, there's there, one of the reasons why that people are so willing to uh, go out of their way. It makes them feel good. Number one, if I give money, that's the guy in front of me at the Popeyes there. He, he, you know, it would have made him feel good. Although when homeless Joe, no, his name wasn't Joe, Mike, went over and talked to him when he was sitting down eating, the dude didn't give him any money. I made sure to look and kind of see what was going on there. Um, <clears throat> But um, I, I don't necessarily think that simply because there are people who are in these situations of being homeless, therefore we are necessarily obligated to give to them. Um, there's so many organizations here in Butte County. There, there, is no, there is absolutely, and I can say this with all confidence, no reason for anybody, any single person to be out on the street. There are shelters, there are, in the winter, there's winter shelters who take in people who have been kicked out of every other shelter, and there are all kinds of agencies and, um, you know, justice centers in place that they provide clothes, there's, you know, the Catholic Church, there's other Christian organizations that provide food, but there's just, it, really, you have to try to not get provided for here in this county. There, there's a reason for it. Now, like I said earlier, if the reason is mental illness, that's something different. But if the reason is sin, that's the quandary. Do we continue to help people? Do I give Mike, go out and get him a blanket, get him a sleeping bag when I know that he should be able to get one freely from so many places here in town, even on a Saturday even on a Sunday, he'd be very capable of going and finding those resources. So am I therefore obligated to go and to provide those things for him? I, I didn't, and I don't think so. And I don't have any type of um, check in my heart that I did wrong. Now, did I? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I guess the possibilities there, but what I'm thinking about specifically is that, you know, I'm sitting there eating my Popeye's chicken sandwich and then here's homeless Mike, uh, walking around the Popeye's, um, asking people for money and blankets and sleeping bags to anybody who has untrained eye, it's going to look like I'm awfully cold and harsh and a jerk. And I am not trying to defend myself by recording this. What I'm trying to do is give perspective and say there's biblical categories for doing these kinds of things. There's biblical categories for us to go out of our way for certain people at certain times. And there's biblical categories for us to not do those things as well. And I think that we need to be wise and careful and judicious, 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 whatever that word is, in how we give and how when we give, we take care of um, those people around us. So let me sum up by saying this. There's, the homeless problem's never going to be solved. The best we're going to do is we're going to alleviate symptoms. We are always going to have the poor with us. 
So in the church, and if you're a churchman, church person, I should say, then listen up. And if you're not, listen, here's, here's how we see um, biblical categories structured. First and foremost, we help our own and we need to help our families first. So if we have somebody in our family who is suffering with some kind of mental illness and we should be going out of our way to be able to help and provide and support um, that particular individual. Do we have, you know, single moms or do we have people who are um, struggling in other ways because they can't hold down a job? Do we have those with, you know, learning disabilities in our family? Do we have those with just other physical um, deformities or issues that keep them from being able to um, support themselves, then we, we as, uh, are obligated, I think, to take care of our own families, that if we don't take care of our own, then we're worse than an infidel. The second thing that we're saying is that we should be um, providing for the poor in our church. Um, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy and all of a sudden get everything together. In fact, the Lord has ordained that um, his church would be filled, I think, with more poor people to confound the rich. <clears throat> and so when, you know, you, you look around and there are churches that are full of nothing but wealthy people, well, that gives me pause. But above that, it indicates that there isn't the biblical diversity that we should expect from a church that is trying to be consistent with the New Testament. The New Testament church had slaves. The New Testament church had the poor. The New Testament church had the, the downtrodden. The New Testament church had those who were marginalized and exploited. And they sometimes worshiped side by side with those who were wealthy, who were the masters, who were the exploiting. And um, I, sanctification doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes a long time to change. But those kind of people should coexist within the church. And so we will have poor people with us here in the church. And we should be looking for ways to take care of them provide for them, help them, support them, and encourage them in their walks with Christ because that's going to glorify God. In fact, one of the um, examples we have in the New Testament is that those who are outside the church are going to be amazed by the way we inside the church treat each other. Is, is that the way your church functions? I hope so. I hope that's the way my church functions. And then after that, finally, if there are those who are outside the church who are not Christians, not believers, then we should be very wise in how we take care of them. There's nothing wrong with handing a dollar bill outside to the guy who's sitting in the median. There's your headed to the big lots or, or the food for less or, or Winco or whatever supermarket that you have, wherever you're at. Um, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, and just be wise about how you do it. Um, we don't want to be supporting people in their sin, but at the same time, we certainly do want to be helping and providing for people. Um, I've been praying for Mike since yesterday. I'm confident that I'll see him um, out on the streets here soon. I know that there's not a lot that I can do or anybody can really do for him at this point unless he repents and truly exhibits faith in Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that's really the hope that we can offer. It feels hollow when we share the gospel with people who have this immediate need. But if we can, 
you know, in some time, some ways, fill the immediate need and then point them to the real spiritual need. That's huge. Um, we don't know who the Lord's going to save or how he's going to save them. So we need to be wise and um, about how we steward what we do have and take care of those who are around us. But um, the long and the short of it is, is if you this holiday season are um, conflicted with how to help people, look around first of all at those who are in your immediate vicinity, whether it be your family and your church, and help them. Then from there, look around and see if there are other people who can need your help. But we ought to be helping those who are most near to us and closest to us in the Lord, um, first, foremost, primarily, because that's what glorifies God. Well, I hope you are well and you are blessed this holiday season with God's grace and the understanding of his mercy. And may he continually uh, show you his goodness as he reveals to you how much you need his grace. Thanks for listening.